Welcome to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Gomes. And I'm Anna Cash. Here, we come together to bring you a podcast all about preserving food safely, easily, and dare I say perfectly at home. We are master food preservers, moms, wives, and we love talking about canning. We've decided the world needs a podcast that shares up-to-date, modern, safe information about canning, dehydrating, freezing, freeze-drying, and more. We answer listener questions, teach beginner and intermediate techniques, and share our very best tips for preserving successfully. We'll show you how to find trusted recipes, sources, and more so you never have to second-guess your preserving practices again. Ready to can like a master preserver? Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm Anna here with my co-host Jenny. And today on our episode, we are going to be talking about avoiding common major and minor canning mistakes. We are going to be citing an article that was written by Kathleen Riggs, who's a family and consumer sciences agent in Iron County, Utah. And Jenny found this article and she thought it was so good. And I agreed. So we're going to start out with the major canning mistakes that could be potentially deadly. So we're going to start with those and then we'll go to the minor canning mistakes that you should be aware of. So Jenny, start us out. Like what are some potentially deadly major canning mistakes that our listeners might not know about? Okay. Awesome topic. And again, the first are just going to be the ones that are ones that I think require everyone's attention. Like everyone should be thinking And on the same page that these can be potentially really make your family sick. And because you guys are great, smart listeners, you're not going to make any of these mistakes. But this is just purely for education and not to frighten anyone. So the first is making up your own canning recipe. I just had someone message me the other day and they said wisely, do I need to add citric acid to a salsa recipe? And I thought, yes. But why is your canning recipe not saying so? And I said, well, what recipe are you using? And she said, well, I just made my own up. And I was like, well, okay, that's, that is the problem is you're not using a canning recipe. So a canning recipe is one that's been tested for a couple things, but one being the acid value. We have a great recipe about canning and acid values that you can listen to. But one thing that when recipes are tested is they're testing the acid. They're also testing density and other things. And in a canning recipe, you'll become accustomed to seeing a tested canning recipe will call for the acidifying ingredient, for example, in tomato recipes or in other recipes that have a little bit higher of a pH number, which would be a lower acid value, for example. So one mistake you don't want to make is making up your own recipe. If you have a recipe that was like great grandma's recipe or a recipe you want to try, then you can look at that recipe and compare it to a recipe that is tested. One way that I find recipes online is I'll type in whatever recipe I'm looking for, plus the phrase cooperative extension. And that way the result will be a recipe that's been tested by a cooperative extension office. So that's just my trick for searching. Yeah. I don't go to Pinterest. I go to Google and I include the search terms cooperative extension to find a recipe that I might be looking for. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice, Jenny. I love I love doing that as well. And it's because of you. And I was like, oh, this is so great because it really, that keyword extension 
then opens you up to the entire country's worth of database from extension mm-hmm. offices across the country. So that's perfect. Okay, so next is adding extra starch, flour, or other thickener to a recipe. This will slow the rate of heat penetration into the product and can result in undercooking, thus the botulism toxin being able to grow in that type of environment. Heat penetration is one of the most important things in your canning recipe to know. That's why things like pumpkin butter are not recommended for canning. The density is just too thick. It just does not penetrate well through that type of product. So just know adding extra starch, flour, or thickener is not recommended in your recipe. Great. And I'm going to add to that. That is why using clear gel, which is a modified cornstarch, is the recommended way to create pie fillings because that cornstarch has been modified to allow for heat penetration. In reading about that, I read examples of people saying, oh yeah, I used to use cornstarch or used to use flour and it would be lumpy and clumpy and gross. (laughs) Yes. And the clear gel thickener, which is safe for canning, is clear as a pane of glass. It is shiny and delicious. It looks like it should be on a magazine. It's so pretty and it's not clumpy and weird. Yeah. And I would say after a while, after probably a year, it does turn kind of like a whitish milky texture, but I found when I cook it, it turns back into that beautiful clear gel again which I thought was really interesting. Interesting. Okay, great side tip. If you want to thicken something, you must use the canning approved clear gel. The next item on our list of canning mistakes that could be deadly would be adding extra onions, chilies, peppers, or other vegetables, which are low acid, to salsas. The extra vegetables dilute the acidity and can result in the bot toxin being able to grow. So salsa is like is a recipe that everybody loves. Like they aspire to can a really good salsa recipe. And I think I've said this before, so I hope I'm not repeating myself. But if you really desire a very specific type of salsa, then it is possible that it is best not canned. You may need to just make that fresh, right? Yeah, or throw it in the freezer. Yeah, or for, yeah, there's a thousand different things you could do. Not a thousand. There's a, a, other ways you could do it that aren't canning it. I don't can salsa because my husband really likes like the very fresh salsa and canned salsa is not fresh. It's it's not. There's no <laughs> there's no way around it, right? And if you don't can it, then you can have as much onions, as much garlic, all the other low acid veggies in there, as many as you want. But that said, there are lots of canning safe tested salsa recipes and you can try out I would do small batches of a variety of them and see which one you and your family like the best yeah I love that I love that so all right the next tip is using an oven instead of water bath for processing the product will be under processed since air is not as good a conductor of heat as water or steam the jars may also break or explode I actually saw a video of a really, not prestigious, but a a restaurant in Salt Lake, and they were, quote unquote, canning batches of jam in the oven. And this was when I was first starting out. And I was thinking like, this isn't 
recommended. Like, why are they doing this? It was like, you know, their own promotional video about how they make jam. So yeah, it's just not a good idea. Don't process things in your oven. If you've ever cooked a batch of cookies, you will know that like some cookies near the front may be lighter than the ones in the back. Mm -hmm. Like the amount of heat difference in an oven is significant. And like it said, the the air is not as good a conductor of heat as water or steam. So just don't do it. Great. Yeah, don't do it. And that is true for processing and any other contraption. I've seen like in Reddit threads, people talking about like their grandma used to process in the dishwasher or that's it's true for for that too. So don't do that. That's insane. <laughs> I know. Isn't it just so crazy? Like when you're talking about the oven, like, I'm just like, wow, that's not a very good idea. Okay. So the next mistake that could be really dangerous is not making altitude adjustments. So because boiling water temperatures are lower at higher altitudes, your products will be under-processed if you don't adjust. Pressure canning requires you to add more pounds of pressure when you water bath can at a higher altitude rather than more processing time. So to expand on that, if you live above a thousand feet in the earth, <laughs> then you will need to add a little bit of processing time to your water bath canning recipes. And if you're pressure canning, you'll have to add more pounds pressure. So it won't add a longer processing time if you're pressure canning, but you'll have to wait a little bit longer till it gets up to pressure. Right. And are you, remind me, what is your elevation where you live? So I'm at 3,000 feet elevation, which means that I have to add five minutes for every 1,000 feet. So it's a 15-minute addition for water bath canning recipes. And then pressure canning, I think I'm at 11 pounds. I think that's right, 11. I'd have to check, but I think it's 11. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm the same. So, well, I'm not the same, but I'm a little bit over 4,000 feet in elevation but it's similar for me though. I have to have, I think I'm up to 13 pounds pressure where I live. So. Okay. So if you are canning above sea level, if you're canning over a thousand feet, I think I, and this is what I've done in my cookbooks. I just add, I like do a little plus 15 by all of my processing times and all the recipes that I'm going to do just to make sure that I'm not ever forgetting to set the time or if like, just just to make sure that anyone that uses my book knows to add the additional time for elevation. Yep, that's perfect. Okay, the next one is not venting your pressure canner. Mm. So when you're pressure canning, there's a step that you do at the very beginning before you put on your weighted gauge or you flip down your little airlock. And that is venting. And venting is just helping all of that steam release. And you do that for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And the problem is if you don't vent, then it can result in cold air pockets, which will not reach as high a temperature as is needed for pressure canning. So make sure that you are venting your pressure canner for at least 10 minutes. I mean, it, it really is 10 minutes, no less. So make sure you're doing that. I believe that in the Master Preserver course, we learned about a woman who canned improperly and ended up sick with botulism and lived to tell the tale, thank God. 
But one of the missteps that she made when she was pressure canning was that she didn't vent the pressure canner. She didn't exhaust it. So that is a really, really critical step. Yeah. Okay. What's next? Not having a dial pressure canner gauge tested annually. So this one is really important, but it's also for someone that doesn't live close to a cooperative extension office, it's a thing to figure out. So if you do live close to a cooperative extension office, you can take your pressure canner in and they can test for you to make sure that your gauge is reading accurately, that it's measuring pressure accurately. If you do not, what I've had to do is take mine to a tire shop and have them measure if it's, if you know, using the same, it's all the same, I guess, technology to measure if that is testing pressure appropriately. Yep. And there's a lot of people that say, I don't have an extension office close by or mine doesn't offer that. And I can tell you almost every single town has like a tire shop or Mm -hmm. some type of mechanic shop Mm -hmm. where they can test your, the pressure of your gauge. Great. The next misstep that you could take is failing to acidify tomato products. So I think that we culturally believe incorrectly that tomatoes are really high in acid. They are in fact just barely acidic enough to be safe for water bath canning. And that means that a safe canning recipe calls for the addition of an acidifying ingredient, which will be citric acid, store-bought lemon juice that has a standardized acid value, or vinegar. So if you're wondering, is this a canning recipe or is this a safe canning recipe, and it's a tomato one, you will know immediately they all will call for the addition of an acidifying ingredient. And if it doesn't, you can look for one that does. And if it's very, very close, that's what you have to determine is if it's very, very close. But what is best is if you follow a tested canning recipe, especially for tomato products, because they are not very acidic. They can be as low as 3.9 on the pH scale, which is plenty acidic enough, or they can be up to 4.9, I think, which is not quite acidic enough. So they really do require the addition of an acidifying ingredient. And it doesn't matter if it's organic or you grew it yourself or you saved your heirloom seeds or if, you know, you you uh, read Bible verses and classical music out in the garden. It doesn't matter. <laughs> All tomatoes today are pretty close to the alkaline line, right? They, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I always have people, it's like the thing that people tell me about their tomatoes is like, oh, well, I grew them or I know that they're like, you don't know. You don't know that. That isn't so. They are not as acidic as you think. And all safe canning tomato recipes call for the addition of an acidifying ingredient. End of story. Yep. And there's also the side note that especially if the vine is dead when tomatoes are harvested, uh, this can result in a really low acid level. So we're coming up on that here where I live mm. probably in about a month. Um, the our first frost will hit and people will be trying to pick those tomatoes before the frost hits. So if that's you um, and it has frosted, don't go out and pick your tomatoes the next day. If you miss that opportunity, don't can them. They're just not good. So 
catch them before the frost hits, and then make sure that you use an acidifying agent in your canned tomatoes. Great. And now a quick word about our courses. Want to learn more about canning? Check out our video courses. Anna's beginner and advanced canning courses are available at smarthomecanning.com. And Jenny teaches super fast steam canning at startcanning.com. Use the code POD25, that's P-O-D-25, to get 25% off those courses today. Okay, the next step is cooling your pressure canner under running water. Calculations as to processing time include the residual heat during the normal cool down period as part of the canning process. I've personally never seen or heard of anybody doing this, but it must be a thing because this is not the first time I've read this of people using cool water along the top or the sides of their pressure canner to cool it down as a way to hurry up that cool down process, but just don't do it. It's not recommended. Ugh, that sucks. It seems so unwise. You just have to be patient. <laughs> the next item on our list is letting food prepared for hot pack processing cool in the jars before placing them in the canner. So hot pack is where you'd be asked to like brown chunks of meat and then put them in the hot jars and then put them directly into the canner. That would be hot pack. Cold pack would be like putting cold. Oh, like, like say if your salsa, you put it in the fridge overnight and you just yes. hurry and put it in jars and then go to put it in your water bath canner. You need to right. bring it up to heat temp. Uh, sometimes if people are doing like big batches of jam. They'll dole out, you know, 20 bottles of jam, put the lids on. And then while the other one's processing, that jam has now cooled. I don't know. Those, those are just a couple examples I can think of. Those are, okay. Cold pack is not, I would say I've, it's not common that I do that. It's, it is rare that I do it. Hot packing, especially with pressure canning, results in better tasting meat that keeps its shape. So I almost always would hot pack in pressure canning. But letting the food cool, if the recipe is for hot pack, no matter what type of canning you're doing, if the recipe is for hot pack, you don't want to start out with cold food because that total processing time calculation is based on it being hot when it started. Yeah. Okay, so now we're on to the minor canning mistakes. So this is more like economic loss, time loss, but the results aren't going to be deadly. Okay, so top of the list, we get this Mm -hmm. all the time, is reuse of lids. And what can happen is you will have a seal failure. There will be mold inside the jar, depending on how long time the seal has been broken. But botulism can't live in an environment with oxygen. So, you know, it's just that you're sad because all of that batch got ruined because you reused your lids, but it's not necessarily a deadly mistake. Right. That's that's one mistake I just cannot understand people making because I mean, I know buying lids is an expense, but risking losing the jar of food that you very carefully preserved, that's is a greater risk than I'm willing to take. Yeah. The next item on our list that is a mistake that can cause economic loss is the use of jars that are not designed for canning, like old glass mayonnaise jars, uh, store-bought pasta jars, other jars, because they're not designed to withstand the heat of a canning process. 
And oh, having a broken jar. I had one break when I was making choke cherry syrup this weekend, and oh, just so maddening. <laughs> Such a shame. And mine was just a, a canning jar that had a crack in it. I didn't catch before I loaded the canner. But yeah, that's just an economic loss, and it wastes your time. It takes time to clean. It takes time to restart your your whole process. It's it's a nuisance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next minor canning mistake is the use of paraffin on jams and jellies. Small air holes in the paraffin may allow mold to grow. Also, paraffin can catch on fire if overheated during preparation. If preserves do have mold growth, the recommendation is not to eat the product, but discard it. I personally have never seen anybody use paraffin. I feel like that's more of a maybe 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and and maybe it fell, hopefully fell out of fashion. But most people I know are using a two-part or one-part uh, lid system now. What about you, Jenny? Have you seen people using paraffin? It must be sold because I still see it in the canning section in the grocery store. So I don't know who's buying it, but people must be. I mean, all these years I've been canning, it's still there. I don't understand. Right. I don't I don't know who's buying it. But I have had people like make comments on social media or whatever that my grandma uses paraffin, blah, blah. It's an old fashioned way of doing it, which no shade on our uh, four fathers for doing it, but it's not a great way to preserve. (laughs) The next misstep that can cause economic loss would be cooling too slowly after removing from canner. And you would do that by having your jars really close together on the countertop or leaving them in the canner for a super long time. There's a group of harmless organisms called thermophiles, like heat loving, right? That can survive canning. If jars are just kept like medium hot for a long period of time, they can produce acid, which means that they can ferment. And then it's, that's what produces flat sour, which is a very interesting phrase, but it's harmless, but it gives your food like an off flavor. That's such a weird word. It just grosses me out to think about it. But yeah, it's just from things not cooling down. Right, right. It just kept like nice and warm for too long. You want it to get cool. And by cool, we mean you place your jars on a towel covered countertop. And normally they will cool down to room temperature, but you wouldn't want to do anything to keep them nice and warm for any longer than what they're in the canning pot for. Yeah. And just kind of like setting them apart from each other, not stack your jars too close. Right. Okay, so the last one that we're going to cover is storing food longer than recommended. On your ball lids now, I feel like they say, you know, foods recommended up to 18 months, which is a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I've definitely had some things, obviously, like some tomatoes that I canned in 2020 or 2021, and those are still fine. But it's similar to freezing food, right? Like the longer that it's in there, the less quality there is and the more breakdown of the food that you processed. So I'm I'm sure you've seen it before where maybe your peaches start to get feathery if they've been in the jar for longer than a year, you know, they just start to break down over time. So it's just a minor misstep. It's not it's not going to like be unsafe as long as it's sealed. It's just that the quality goes down over time. Right. And then with the quality goes the likelihood that it'll be enjoyed by whomever's eating it. 
I think it's really important. That's one one of our values that we've shared on the podcast is we want all of your canned food to be delicious. And just like some foods just don't age super well in the canning jar. And it's not that they're not safe, but they just like kind of looks terrible. <laughs> the texture can really break down. They end up really soft. Like it just isn't delicious anymore. And peaches is a great example. My mom canned a lot of peaches when we were kids. And I remember like, I want to eat these tomorrow because they're good when they're fresh, like in the, in the first few months. But like two-year-old canned peaches aren't quite as good. They're just too soft or they're, they're fairly soft and feathery. That's a great way to describe it. So just, I would just keep that in mind that you don't want to can so much of one food product thinking like, oh, in 10 years, we're going to be eating this. It, I mean, you might, but it isn't going to be as delicious. Right, right. Okay, well, that's our episode today. We gave you some major mistakes to avoid and also some minor ones to keep in mind. As always, it's our main goal for preserving to be fun, enjoyable, for the food to be delicious and worth it. And I just think knowing these major and minor mistakes can really improve the quality of the food that you put up. Right. And I think it can improve your confidence when you know, oh, you know, this type of mistake is uh, definitely one to to avoid or is just like, a okay, that's just is like a like the paraffin, like that can just be a cultural or an age thing. Like people do it. It's not the end of the world, but it's not, you know, the most wise way to preserve, for example. I think it can be a confidence boost. So yeah, another great episode, Anna. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. That's our show. We don't want you to miss an episode, so please be sure to subscribe. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give our show a rating and review. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps our show grow. Follow us on social media at Smart Home Canning and at The Domestic Wildflower. Email your preserving questions to perfectly preserved podcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer your questions on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode released every week.